Is anybody there? Does anybody care? Does anybody see what I see? I see fireworks. I see the pageant and pomp and parade. I hear the bells ringing out. I hear the cannons roar. I see Americans, all Americans, free forevermore. Does this song ring a bell with anyone else? This past weekend, with Independence Day falling on a Sunday, we were able to celebrate the 4th of July on the 3rd, the 4th, and the 5th of July, with each of the neighboring cities electing to shoot off fireworks and host all manner of pageant, pomp, and parade on different days over the extended weekend, I've gotten my fill of gratitude and pride for my nation. And of course, as tradition demands, I sat through nearly three hours of witty jokes, one-liners, and catchy tunes from John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, and Thomas Jefferson in the classical musical 1776. Hands down, my favorite number from the musical is one sung by John Adams, played by Mr. Feeney for those of you who grew up with the TGIF show Boy Meets World. He sings, They want me to quit. They say, John, give up the fight. Still to England I say, good night forever, good night. For I have crossed the Rubicon. Let the bridge be burned behind me. Come what may, come what may. Big bond, the croakers all say we'll rule the day. They'll be held to pay in fiery purgatory Through all the gloom, through all the gloom I can see the rays of ravishing light and glory Is anybody there? Does anybody care? Does anybody see what I see? I absolutely love that attitude of commitment toward a noble cause. Adam's words take on added meaning with a brief history of the Roman Empire. In 49 BC, Roman law explicitly forbade any general from crossing the Rubicon River with a legion. This statute was intended to protect Roman citizens from internal military might. The Roman government was a conglomerate of three primary factions led by political rivals. After carrying out military campaigns abroad, General Julius Caesar, one of these rival powers, returned to Rome with his legion of active soldiers. The act of crossing the Rubicon without first disbanding his army was an act of treason and sacrilege, punishable by death an act that began a civil war among political factions that ended with Caesar emerging as emperor of the Roman nation. Even Caesar had strong reservations as they neared the river crossing, uttering the famous saying, Alea Iocta Est, or the die has been cast. 
and some accounts describe a supernatural apparition as the motivating force behind the ultimate order to cross. So when John Adams sings, I have crossed the Rubicon, let the bridge be burned behind me. I see a man who does not share Caesar's reservations. He does not need a sign from heaven urging him to put pen to parchment and affix his name to a treasonous declaration. He was fully and unequivocally committed to the cause of freedom. And he had a vision, one that was described in the song we've just heard. Adams may indeed have seen millions of American men and women getting time off of work to barbecue and catch up on yard work, to proudly display flags in their yards, to stand on the side of crowded streets in the blistering July heat with happy children perched high on their shoulders, laughing and pointing at clowns, horses, and marching bands, and time off to stretch out on blankets or in the back of pickups under a dark night sky to watch an ooh and awe-inspiring display of colorful lights and thundering sounds that never fails to raise a patriotic fervor to loftier heights. But greater than the fireworks and bells, more important than the pageant, the pomp, and parade, he saw Americans, all Americans, free. Free? Free to what? Free to choose our nation's leaders. Free to criticize and disagree with those leaders. Free to define our own governing laws and freedom to break those laws. Free to say what we think, to write what we feel. Free to worship the God we revere and free to share that God with others. Free to gain an education, to choose our own careers, and to prosper according to our diligence and hard work. Free to live where we want, to choose our own spouse, and to raise a family however we see fit. And so the list could go on and on. Many describe the American dream job as a posh job, a sporty car, a fancy house in little suburbia, and a growing nest egg for a comfortable retirement spent doing all those things we didn't have time to do while devoting our lives to acquiring those aforementioned American necessities. But this American dream regardless of the number of Americans who share it, is not the dream that we are collectively striving to share with the world, with those nations currently led by tyrants and dictators, and with those many across the world who painfully labor for the prosperity of the few that are higher than them in the social ladder. Rather, I would like to hope that the message we carry to the world is this same vision of freedom so passionately sought after by the millions of men and women who, like Adams, sacrificed their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor for the ideals and freedoms we enjoy in our nation today. General George Washington seems to have shared this vision of freedom that would have impact across the entire world. In November 1775, seeking to motivate the colonial troops to re-enlist for another year of service, Washington delivered a powerful speech, including the following. As I have the honor to be an American, and one among the free millions who are defended by your valor, I would pay the tribute of thanks and express my gratitude while I solicit you to continue in your present honorable and important station. I doubt not 
America will always find enough of her sons ready to flock to her standard and support her freedom. But every friend of America will be desirous that most of the gentlemen who compose the present army may continue in the service of their country until liberty, peace, and safety are established. Although your private concerns may call for your assistance at home, yet the voice of your country is still louder and it is painful to heroic minds to quit the field when liberty calls and the voice of injured millions cries, two arms, two arms. Never was a cause more important or glorious than that which you are engaged in. Not only your wives, your children, and distant posterity, but humanity at large, the world of mankind, are interested in it. For if tyranny should prevail in this great country, we may expect liberty will expire throughout the world. Therefore, more human glory and happiness may depend upon your exertions than ever yet depended upon any of the sons of men. He that is a soldier in defense of such a cause needs no title. His post is a post of honor. And although not an emperor, yet he shall wear a crown of glory and blessed will be his memory. The savage and brutal barbarity of our enemies is full demonstration that there is not the least remains of virtue, wisdom, or humanity in the British court, and that they are fully determined with fire and sword to butcher and destroy, beggar and enslave the whole American people. Therefore, we expect soon to break off all kind of connection with Britain and form into a grand republic of the American United Colonies, which will, by the blessing of heaven, soon work out our salvation and perpetuate the liberties, increase the wealth, the power, and the glory of this Western world. Notwithstanding the many difficulties we have to encounter and the rage of our merciless enemies, we have a glorious prospect before us, big with everything good and great. The further we enter into the field of independence, our prospects will expand and brighten, and a complete republic will soon complete our happiness. Blindness seems to have happened to Britain that the fullness of America might come in, and we have every encouragement to stand fast in the liberties wherewith heaven hath made us free. Persevere, ye guardians of liberty. May success be your constant attendant until the enemies of freedom are no more and all future generations as they successfully tread the stage of time and taste the joys of liberty will rise up and call you blessed general washington's prophetic vision one that was not obtained cheaply and has cost a great deal of american blood has indeed been realized in our day Across the world, countless millions, including myself, taste those joys of liberty and rise up to call those brave men and women who fought for this great cause blessed. And so, in reference to this great American dream, John Adams challenges us. Is anybody there? Does anybody care? Does anybody see what I see?
And so I take the challenge, do I care? Can I see the vision of what our founding fathers were trying to accomplish? Am I doing my part to support that cause? Borrowing from the words of JFK, am I more concerned with what my country can do for me or what I can do for my great country? Do I care? My immediate easy answer is absolutely. But let's put myself on the chopping block and ask this same question a few other ways. Do I care enough to honestly study out the issues and drag myself down to the polls, not just every four years, but every single time there is a vote? Let's just say that my track record here is not fantastic. And when I do make it down to the polls, I'm usually not as educated as I should be. Do I care enough to suit up and depart for distant shores should threatening circumstances warrant and risk my life to defend my family and these ideals? Maybe. But if Lindsay actually let me go, I'd probably be a greater help on KP or latrine cleaning duty than I would be employing my subpar targeting skills on the front lines. I never did get either of those dang shooting merit badges. Do I care enough to speak out on issues that are important to me, to campaign for a candidate who shares my views, or to stand up for these views even when they are unpopular? A couple years ago, when an initiative defining traditional marriage was being considered for addition into the Arizona State Constitution, I actually put up a sign in my yard defending the more conservative and less popular viewpoint, one that I felt passionate about. The sign disappeared overnight. I put up another sign. And yes, I was a little afraid for the safety of my family and the well-being of my house, which did not get egged after all. But no, I did not do more than put up a dumb sign. With as much as I like to share an opinion, I am surprisingly quiet publicly when it comes to matters of politics or items of national significance. So do I care? Yes. Could I care more? Absolutely. I love this time of year. Sure, I like all of the holidays, and Thanksgiving is no exception. But at Thanksgiving, my feelings of gratitude are so widespread that I often end up feeling more gratitude for the turkey, the pumpkin pie, and the sport of football than anything else. So I'm grateful for other holidays when I can bring my gratitude into greater focus. I feel gratitude for my wife and my family on Valentine's Day, for loved ones who've gone before me on Memorial Day, for the miracle of forgiveness on Easter, for chocolate on Halloween, and for snow at Christmas time. One of the reasons that I like this summer time of year so much is the abundance of holidays that allow me to focus my gratitude. This week I have the opportunity to feel the strongest feelings of appreciation for the John Adamses and the George Washingtons, the Abraham Lincolns and the John F. Kennedys, the paratroopers of Normandy and the Unknown Soldiers, the Nephi's and Captain Moroni's and the countless other men and women who have labored and fought for the freedoms that we enjoy in this great land today. Last week, I had the opportunity to reflect on the life of one man who lived in a nation that espoused religious liberties and tolerance, and thus possessed the freedoms necessary to restore divine truths and authorities to the children of men under the inspiration and watchful care of a loving Heavenly Father. These liberties of speech and religion were often tested as those who clung to these rights were often persecuted. 
Ultimately, this prophet suffered a martyr's fate, giving his life and defending his testimony and his rights to believe what he knew to be true with his own blood. Later this month, I'll have the opportunity to remember a large populace of saints who greatly suffered and toiled for this very same cause. When these pioneers felt that these God-given and patriot-defended rights were being denied them, rather than carry out yet another bloody revolution against tyranny and oppression, they sought a land where they could truly enjoy these freedoms, for which so much blood had already been shed. Thankfully, today there are fewer religious persecutions resulting in events similar to those of Jackson County, Missouri and Nauvoo, Illinois, and the cold-blooded murder of a man for his religious beliefs regardless how zealous or extreme they might seem to the public at large, would be prosecuted by the full arm of the law. As I remember the Declaration of American Independence, the martyrdom of a prophet, and the persecution and resulting wilderness trek of an outcast people, I find myself in a time of year when I can't help but feel the humblest gratitude for freedom. Above all, the freedom to worship my God as I see fit. And those very freedoms for which such an awful price has been and continues to be paid. And so I hang my stars and stripes proudly. I turn on my annual musical. I listen to David McCullough describe the awful hopeless predicament of the early colonial army in 1776. I watch BYU's A More Perfect Union, and I soak in the emotion and the power of Rob Gardner's The Price of Freedom. Can I see what John Adams saw? Yes, I think so. Do I care? Am I doing anything about it? I guess that remains to be seen. And so I take a brief moment now to climb up on my soapbox, to open my mouth and to stand for something. We live in a nation that bears the name the United States of America. We may informally refer to our nation as America, but in truth we belong to a nation of United States. Furthermore, in our governing constitution, the very first words are, we the people, suggesting that ours is truly a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Any government should exist for the betterment and the regulation of its people, contributing to the peaceful coexistence of citizens, groups of citizens, cities, states, etc. All laws exist not to limit or restrict citizens, but rather to help keep order. If there were only one driver in the world, there would be no need for traffic signs or speed limits. When John Adams and the other Founding Fathers signed the Declaration of Independence, there was no federal government. If there had been no conflict among the states that emerged from the Revolutionary War, or no need for mutual protection, there never would have been a need for a federal government. At that time, there was a handful of colonies, each established with different traditions, religious beliefs, economies, lifestyles, and governing bodies. Each colony had shared a frustration and a bitterness toward its mother country an empire that was unfairly taxing and governing its colonial citizens, and a nation that was neither of the people nor for the people. And so these colonies united, determined to reclaim the unalienable freedoms that were their God-given prerogative. Once they had claimed this freedom by victory on the battlefield, they continued on as independent and very unique states. 
There were squabbles and skirmishes over trade, conflicting laws, standing militias, and many other aspects of colonial life. The Continental Congress had been established as a means to unite the colonies during the British crisis. In the years following the war, it was apparent that another federal governing body was essential for the endurance of that fledgling nation. Thus was born the Articles of Confederation and the Constitutional Congress that led to our present system of government. As the Constitution was drafted, there were a few major obstacles to overcome and compromises to be made. One revolved around the issue of slavery. Should slaves count as population? Should the slave trade be allowed to continue? The southern states felt that the trade was essential to their economic survival and that the federal government should not govern their economy or way of life. Many from the northern states felt strong opposition to slavery for moral or political reasons. A compromise was made. The federal government served as mediator between peoples of differing views, but the autonomy of the states was preserved. They could still govern themselves. Another major issue centered on small states and large states. States with large populations argued that they should have a stronger voice in federal matters, as they comprised a larger percentage of the American populace as a whole. The smaller states feared that they would not be fairly represented in Congress, and that their sovereignty would be lost. A compromise was made. Two legislative bodies would exist, one whose membership was based on population, and the other with equal representation. The voice of the people as a whole needed to be acknowledged, but the states deserved their sovereignty. These compromises lead me to a few viewpoints that I've recently felt strongly about that are founded upon these very concepts with which our nation was founded. The first concept, one nation. The issue of balancing power between the states and the federal government is nothing new. John Adams and Thomas Jefferson often argued heatedly over this very issue. Adams, a Federalist, felt that the federal government should be larger and stronger. Jefferson, on the other hand, felt that the states should govern themselves and turn to a federal government only in specific matters. There were those among the Founding Fathers who felt that the responsibility of electing the president was too great for the common man, and that their elected leaders should have that power. Again, a compromise was reached. The people would elect electors who would vote according to their wisdom and feeling. The electoral vote could be decided by popular vote within a geographic region, but the vote as a whole would not be based upon nationwide popular opinion. The number of electors from each state would be based upon population, but each state would maintain its voice. This system mirrors the Great Compromise of the Constitutional Congress. Again, the population has a larger voice, but each state is represented appropriately. In the 2000 election, Bush did not have the popular vote of the nation as a whole, but in the Electoral College he won a majority. There were those who felt this to be a travesty, in that we the people of America did not get the president we wanted and felt strongly that the electoral system should be done away with. However, considering all of the states and precincts who deserved and required a voice, the correct outcome was realized. Perhaps unknowingly, those calling for the abolishment of the Electoral College are in fact requesting that the USA 
drop its first two letters. This same dilemma between the sovereignty of the states and the power of the federal government is reflected in current events today. The state of Arizona is being sued for a state law that was put into effect recently concerning illegal immigrants within that state. The federal government has laws dealing with these immigrants that are not currently being enforced at the national level. Due to a large number of crimes in Arizona among these immigrants who are not registered citizens or contributing taxpayers, a state law that is in line with those established at the federal level has been passed and is being enforced. In effect, Arizona is saying, the national government has a law that they are not enforcing. We have an immigration problem in our state right now that is endangering our citizens. We are going to enforce the federal law for them. Arizona is defending its sovereignty and dealing with a state problem. They are not sending all immigrants to concentration camps or suggesting inhumane or un-American action. In fact, they are not suggesting anything more than the national government has already suggested. Through the lawsuit, the federal government is in effect saying, Arizona does not have the right to deal with this problem. We can enforce our own laws. The immigration problem is a national problem, and the states can wait for the problem to be dealt with on our timetable and when the enforcement of our law is politically favorable for the current governing officers. Now the last thing I want to do is debate immigration here. I use the example to suggest the ongoing conflict between the national and state governments. One final heated political topic which I do not want to debate is homosexual rights. Until there is more pressing need to deal with this issue at the national level, individual states can decide for themselves how to address the issue. There is indeed a need to protect minorities. The Latter-day Saints of 1846 were a minority that was persecuted and driven from state to state for its beliefs and lifestyle. The homosexual minority, like the illegal immigrants, should not be sent to concentration camps or treated less human or less American than anyone else. I am glad that I am not a politician who has to sort out how rights and benefits might be extended to a domestic partnership. But as an American, I do have a right to defend my personal moral views on marriage. A few years ago, a number of states debated and voted to place a formal and traditional definition of marriage as the union between man and woman in their state constitutions. In some states, liberal and activist Supreme Court justices had assumed the power of granting legal rights to homosexual marriage within those states by claiming the unconstitutionality of the exclusion of such. These constitutional amendments returned the power to the people as a whole to decide how to define marriage. Now someone might call me un-American to feel the way I do about the issue, to speak out, to put up a sign in my yard, or to contribute money to a cause. But in fact, there is nothing more American than taking a stance on an issue and allowing my voice to be heard. The Founding Fathers and millions of soldiers fought for that very right, and I should be allowed to proudly exercise it. Once again, the voice of the people needs to be heard, but those voices should be heard fairly. We truly are one nation of great diversity, and compromise, trust, 
and understanding are essential qualities for the continuance of our nation. The second concept, under God. I will not undertake to describe the utter hopeless and desperate state of affairs of the Continental Army of 1776 against a vast and powerful adversary. Read Mokolov 1776 and you'll get a good picture. Read that book and you may join me, Adams, Jefferson, Washington, and many, many others who feel very strongly that American independence was wrought only by divine providence and intervention. God had a hand in the creation of this nation. As Francis Scott Key penned so well in our national anthem, and this be our motto, in God is our trust. There are those today who would have us remove any reference to God from our anthem, our currency, our pledge of allegiance, and any other national emblem. I recognize that there are those who do not believe in a supreme being. The majority of Americans do. There may come a day, as with the Nephites of old, when the majority of our nation falls into unrighteousness and unbelief. And if that majority elects to remove God completely from our nation, I feel it will be a sorry tribute to those men and women who founded this great country upon that trust and faith. But in that day, it would be the right of the government of the people and by the people to do as they see fit. I pray that day never comes, for the God we abandon as a people will surely abandon the people as a whole, and we will be like Sodom and Gomorrah of old, a people ripe for destruction. Perhaps in that day the Lord may say, if I can find fifty, or even forty, or thirty, or ten, who still trust in me and who espouse my doctrines and principles, I will spare that nation. But as our nation continues to forget that reliance upon divine providence by which the founding principles of our country were forged, we are surely headed in that direction. The final concept, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Our nation is only as strong as its people. Many Americans, including myself, often see our country as a strong world power that will never fall. In the 1800s, under the doctrine of manifest destiny, many felt that this growing nation was Daniel's prophesied stone cut out of the mountain without hands that would roll forth and fill the earth. Perhaps if Caesar, Napoleon, Alexander the Great, Hitler, or any other powerful commander had access to that book of prophecy, he might feel similarly. Many powerful world empires endured much longer than our nation's short 200-year history. We are far from indestructible, but we can be indivisible as long as we work together. Each American must do his part and there must truly be liberty and justice for all. As John Adams sang, I see Americans, all Americans, free forevermore. I do not believe that Daniel's prophecy was of this American nation, but I do believe that our country is and can continue to be great in our eyes and in the eyes of the world. 
We can be a light on a candlestick and a city set upon a hill. A people that lives what it preaches, that truly believes in liberty and freedom for all. And we can continue to share that great vision that John Adams saw with our world today. We can be the loving big brother to step in and defend our little brother from bullies. We can be a voice of reason in a disturbed world. We can be the first to aid a friend in need when unforeseen disasters strike. But for us to continue in this role and to not fall, as did every other great world empire, it is my strong but humble belief that we truly must be one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. As a child, I recited this pledge daily in school. Perhaps as a nation, we would do well to revive this dying pledge and recommit ourselves to the glorious cause of freedom. And so I will, and let the bridge be burned behind me.